0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: It's time for Bookends. Kia ora. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Maureen Rout. And today I'm actually hijacking the programme because I'm going to play you a uh, Two interviews with uh, writers whose books I really loved. Um, probably two of my favourite books from last year. Sue Orr's Loop Tracks was a incredible novel. Um, it's had a lot of acclaim and I think um, deservedly so. And to begin with, I, wa- I will be talking to Annette Lees about her absolutely entrancing book about the night in Aotearoa and the rest of the world. After Dark Walking into the Nights of Aotearoa by Annette Lees is one of the most fascinating and deeply enthralling books that I've read for some time. Annette has uh, been an outdoor natural world enthusiast from her childhood. She has a master's degree in ecology and landscape conservation and she's had a career in that in New Zealand and the tropical Pacific, as well as travelling in South America and Africa. Her most recent book is Swim, A Year of Swimming Outdoors in New Zealand, which was long-listed for the 2019 Royal Society Prize of the Ockham Book Awards. And it, it's, um, it's such a treat to talk to you about this book, because um, I can imagine everybody that, that um, reads it wants to bombard you with their stories.
2: Yes well that's the lovely thing about being a, a storyteller um i mean that the whole idea of it is to awaken stories in your listeners and readers, so I'm always thrilled when um, people come and tell me their stories. Uh, when, I, when, I, um, when Swim was published, um, I did lots of talks around the country and I absolutely love people coming up to me later or during the meetings and, and telling me their stories of swimming. And Now the same thing's happening with people being outside after dark.
1: Yes, I bet. Well, you say a childhood of nights, a long l- lifelong love of the natural world, an attraction to walking and swimming in moonlight, all combined to make this book inevitable, and I can see that. Tell me about your your early days. I, I love the story of your next door neighbours in Fakatani, Jim and Date. Yes.
2: Jim and Date were a, a lovely couple. They seemed elderly to me when I was a child, but I realised they were probably in their 50s um, when my strongest memories are from them. Um, just those lovely, the perfect neighbours, really, for a child. Um, we were always welcome. We climbed over the stile to their house um, most days. We, Whatever the time was, whatever meal it was, they would just accommodate us. Um, and they seemed like um, very ordinary but lovely people was leading quite ordinary lives um jim was actually an accountant for the local um, what we called the board mills which was a cardboard producing factory in sakatani when i was a child um, but at night he was the president of the astronomical society and he had a telescope one of the first well it was the first telescope i'd ever looked through um, and he bought it and built a little wooden shed for it on his back lawn, right in the middle of town we were, um, although there were no street lights then uh, on our street. And um, and the night that it was installed, we were invited over after dinner when the darkness fell, and I looked through that eyepiece and for the first time in my life saw planets. So that it was a transformational moment for me. And I think part of the magic was that this extraordinary sight to behold was something in a very ordinary place in the in the backyard of a state house in a small town in (laughs) in new zealand and there you were looking at looking into infinity and marvels and you know mysteries and I, i just that 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 just slayed me as a child
1: well, you um, clearly, you know, that has accompanied you throughout your whole life, and not just the work that you do, but you've actively put yourself into the darkness. You've done huge amount, as you say, of walking and swimming outdoors, mm. um, which is all in this book. But I was really interested in the way you structured the book. You followed the night through.
2: Yes. Yeah. It was. I. Um. I thought a lot about. Book structure. I mean, as a writer, people who who read books possibly don't pay as much attention to structure as writers angst over, um, because you feel like you're reading a flow of words, you know, and a flow of sentences and paragraphs and chapters, but how you organise those um, actually make a very big difference to the reader's experience. So I I actually wrote the book and then discarded it um, because the structure wasn't working I I started off structuring it around the things that I saw or did in the night then I realised that there was a natural passage to the night which is that dusk falls and then people start to come home from work and close the curtains and settle in Um, but then you know if you go outside your senses awaken and you start to observe it and then there are people who actually go to work in the night outdoors the people who are studying the animals and plants of the outdoors um, and other night workers and then there's time where people slip outside and go for a walk before they go to bed And, and then if you're staying up there's a sort of nightlife that starts to emerge and then there's, you start noticing the lights or the absence of light, and then there's times to you know, gaze at the stars. And the night is deepening all the time until you come to the very darkest and deepest part of the night, which, as they say, is just before dawn. And that's the time when there's a lot of religious ceremonies will take place in that time, but also when we really, if you're awake at that time, it's, um, it, can be, it can be a peaceful time or a time filled with grief um it's a it's it's a it's a deep part of our it's almost like a soul filled experience and then of course the, the light starts to come up at dawn and then the day has arrived so that when i when i really i started to think about that the structure of the book fell into place very quickly and i i rewrote it around that
1: well it works incredibly well um it I had no idea there were all these um different um uh, descriptions of twilight <laughs> I mm-hmm. love those now I think I'm going to use those and then um, it, it, it's enabled you to interweave so much history mythology um, mm. tales you know lovely tales of, of of your own and other people's and um, it, I can't imagine anybody reading this book won't want to drop everything and go outside at night and <laughs> And be, we'll be in, in the, the night.
2: <laughs> the book will have worked if that happens, because I I think that it's. I, I mean, children love the dark. Um, you know, they, they everyone has those delicious memories of the sweet night air and the excitement and the sense of danger, peril around you, and thrilling kind of fear as well as just just the, the children love that altered altered world. Um, and midnight feasts and staying up for for fireworks and all of those things and then like so many things in life we we tend to set them aside as we become busy as adults uh, I found the same thing with my book on swimming outdoor swimming that adults if anyone was going to sit on the bank it would be an adult and um I, I mean I it's a shame because of course these are free experiences that are right beside us you don't have to leave the country or even particularly leave town to experience something so transformational and bewitching that is so easily available. You you can you just step outside, and I think that's the um, that's something that I really want to awaken in people because um, we we lead we need better lives, more fulfilled and happier lives. I think if we expose ourselves to the nat- those easy parts of the natural world that that are just waiting outside.
1: Yes, and goodness, head, headlamps must have made a huge difference to being able to walk in the dark. Well, yeah, <laughs> Although they, you say that, you know, you can walk without those aids you, if you You can. Yeah. You can. I mean, you,
2: um, the thing about headlights now is they're, they're extreme, and they boast when you buy them about how, how brightly lit they will make your night world, which which is great if you have to move quickly at night or do tasks, you know, like you're setting up a tent in the dark, well you don't want to do that without light. So they're handy in that sense. But in another way, of course, they defeat the whole purpose <laughs> because the purpose of night of going out at night is that you can't see. And therefore or you you, you don't think you can see. But if you wait 20 minutes, the, your eyesight shifts quite markedly over Um, from the the cones which is the day vision in your eye to the rods which notices much more subtle things and then you become, you have to rely on your other senses your sense of smell and taste and touch and the feel of the wind on your face and other. you're alert in a way that you never are in the day and if you've got your torch opening up the light opening it up, you miss that softness and the uncertainty which is I think some of the magic of night that's where it really comes into play you listen a lot more closely if you can't see and you slow down you can't walk a pace if you haven't got your torch on Um, but you'll be surprised how much light there is even without a moon um, on a very clear night the stars cast a light and it lights up the it, it brings the landscape to a certain kind of murky kind of awareness and um when you get your eye in, you can walk you can walk quite fast at night i mean i I've got good at it I bet. <laughs> and it's not because I'm talented in any way I've just done it a lot, and you can really when you're out with somebody who's not um who's the first time for a while they've been out at night, they really are stumbling around and feeling worried but um you can train yourself to to do better than that
1: there's um I'm just being topical here there's a there's a, a chapter one of the chapters um is um, about fireworks because we're coming up to Guy Fawkes Night. <laughs> so yeah. that's fascinating. Um, and topical too in that there's a lot about bats seeing that the, you know, Bird of the Year has included bat this year.
2: I know, I know. I um, uh, Of course I have voted for the bats because I... Um, of I'd, course um, you have. Yes, I'm thrilled actually. that I mean, it's, It deeply amuses me I, and I hope people take it in the spirit that it's meant, which is... Um, that it's it's really just to draw attention to things unexpected things. That's and and um, that's the whole idea of bird of the year. Um, but the bats, yeah, bats are um, quite. Um, they, they are creatures of the night. They they define it, and it is. We are so lucky to have bats in New Zealand. Our two native mammals. Um, and I know you've got some in the Canterbury region. Um, you don't have I to go too too far. Yes, yeah. I
1: heard yesterday my. Builder um, told me that he had a friend who's involved in bats and had and they'd found some near Geraldine.
2: Yes, they have um, and there could well be more. Um, the thing about bats is they are cryptic they because they're out at night um, and most of us are not we can't hear their calling um, although we can if you. Some of their calls you can, but mostly they're silent to us because their 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 sound system is at supersonic level which we can't hear, so we they 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 turn up in places where people had no idea they were there, so um yeah wherever you are anywhere in new zealand um Look up and at just on dusk, and um, you might surprise yourself to um, to be able to to see a bat flicking around, um, feeding on that on the first rise of insects on, on nightfall, um, or or borrow or buy a um, a bat detector and, sit and listen, and you you can you can hear their calls through a bat detector.
1: Well, I might just get myself one because <laughs> there could be some lurking on the edges of Littleton Harbour. I don't know. And, you, know. Uh, you don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Enid, um, for um, writing this book. It's going to be the book that I recommend to absolutely everybody I see. Um, Thank you. Because I, as I say, I can't imagine anybody would um, would be able to read this and not change their habits um, and not become aware of what wonders the night hold for us. So. Um, what are you what are you looking at now you've done swimming you've after dark
2: what <laughs> <Yeah>. else is <laughs> um i'm interested well i've all my books are connected to people in the natural world people in nature i love that interconnectedness i like the stories of humans doing things in the world as much as i do with the natural world itself so it'll be something along those lines um I'm interested, we live on a a little rural block of land and its history fascinates me, like its long geological history, the history of the first Maori that came here, um, the farmers that have owned it before us. Um, So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about how to connect all that together to tell a tale of how we find home in New Zealand, how do we find a sense of place wherever we find ourselves in this country. So I'm exploring those sorts of ideas. But there will be walking, probably swimming, walking around at night, all of those lovely things that that I like to do.
1: Grand. The book is called After Dark, Walking into the Nights of Aotearoa. It's by Annette Lees, and it's published by Potton Burton. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Sue Orr's first novel, The Party Line, was one of my favourite novels of all time, especially as it depicted a New Zealand that I was familiar with. Her second novel, Loop Tracks, has already received great acclaim. Sue is the author of two short story collections. She's been a Buddle Finlay Sargison Fellow. She teaches creative writing at the International Institute of Modern Letters at Victoria University of Wellington and has a PhD and an MA in creative writing from that university. But she's also been very involved in um, teaching creative writing to women's refuges and out at prisons. So Loop Track starts in 1978 with a very um a very poignant chapter or part as you call them. A young girl is sitting on a flight to Australia to have an abortion and In some strange impulse, but not strange because of the way you've written it, she gets off that plane and the rest of the story evolves from that pivotal decision she makes. Yeah. So starting it there, was that really where you started the novel in your head?
0: Yes, it was, because um, that... That thing actually happened. Um, it happened on a flight that a friend of mine was on, uh, and my friend told me about it. She was also on the plane for the same reason. Um, and she did not get off, but uh, so the actual incident happened, and my friend shared it with me. Um, probably about five or six years ago, she told me this story about the huge delay on the tarmac at Auckland Airport. And as she was telling me, my mind just immediately clicked into gear um, oh, what a great premise for a novel. Um, and so I talked to her about that, about my idea about using it as a, launching, uh, as a launching place for a fictional story. And I had her blessing to do that. So that's where it came from um, quite, quite some years ago now.
1: I wasn't sure where where in the interview to talk to you about the actual title loop tracks <laughs> because um, it's it's such a it's such a important um, part of the story. The way that you've structured it, um, I was first aware of musicians making loop tracks when an Australian mu- musician put together. Um, loop tracks of the sounds of the Australian bush, which he made. And at the end, you had this extraordinary soundscape of everything happening. And so um, I was drawn back to that memory as, as your story evolves, because you have, you've taken all these elements of so many things and built them up into this wonderful, rich, you couldn't call it a soundscape, it's a landscape or a mindscape. So, yeah, tell me about that process.
0: Okay, so um, I always start writing when I've got a strong character or even maybe two or three characters in my mind. And um, so with loop tracks, my characters, you know, are looping back on the past, but they're moving forward as well, um, into the future and so um, we have, a, we have um, a secondary main character Tommy who is on the spectrum and really struggles to make sense of the world and um, he, lives, he lives with Charlie, um, the, main, the main character in the book, his grandmother, and he goes out on to his first music concert and it's a loop it's a loop track musician, um, performing and it opens his world up for him because of the layers that are going on um when somebody does looping with music. And it was at that point of the novel when he comes home from the very first outing into a crowded pub and his grandmother is very nervous about this night out for him. Um and he's euphoric with with understanding the way the music had been layered, and it was at that point of the novel, I think, as I was writing, that the looping idea fell into place as a motif for lots of other things going on in the story. Um, another another aspect of it was um, uh, Charlie's looping life and the way the loops of her um, favourite toy as a child, the Spirograph. Are looping around, but never land quite in the same place. And to me, it became—it uh, it, it helped me um, think about her in terms of having another go at life, having up, second chances, and making sure you don't always land back in the same place. Um, that that change is possible. That you can nudge those looping tracks off course, and and perhaps hope for a different outcome for your happiness.
1: Yeah, it's it, you have as many reviewers have said, and of course it's it's obvious when you read the book. You've you have pulled so many things into this book, <laughs> things as the sort of loose word because yes, we have the abortion um, situation in nineteen seventy eight, which was dire for young women back then. Then um, there's Tommy's autism. There's um, his father coming back into his life and the damage that was done to him at some stage, the damage that he's done to others. Mm -hmm. There's um, uh, Charlie's interest in linguistics, her own sort of linguistic problems of, uh, of being her disfluency, which is a wonderful word, um and then and then you you've you've got it set just as COVID is taking hold, and they are plunged into um into lockdown so yes. you really didn't shy away from all the <laughs> all these complicated um spirals and and forces.
0: No, well, once I was locked into them, that was it really. And uh, you mentioned COVID coming along. So I'd actually written, established the first half of, or a third of the book really, with a fictional story. And then COVID came along when I was actually literally writing the last part of, or the second half of the book. And COVID was a gift to me because during lockdown, when we couldn't do anything else, I wrote. Second half of the book is written literally and truthfully against our level four lockdown. So I was actually writing every day, stopping at one o'clock to hear what the one o'clock numbers were, hearing what our politicians and our health professionals had to say to us each day, and that's all. That all became part of the book, um, and also the political, political. Um, Landscape that we were living in at the time, as well, with the general election delayed because of COVID. um, All the all all the political um, dialogues and quotes in the book are real; they're verbatim from what we actually lived through. So, COVID was just a glorious gift to me as a writer, Um, and it was a very productive time in writing, and I felt energised by the landscape that had been gifted to me to finish the
1: book. It's interesting, isn't it, because often we wait a while before, not we, I don't know who we is, it's not me, um, <laughs> writers, <laughs> wait a while with earthquakes and the terrible mosque killings and there's a bit of a delay before they start appearing in our literature. But somehow you putting COVID in there, and it's so fresh and immediate, it all made sense. I didn't feel that you were plunging me back into something that I'd rather forget. I really enjoyed it reliving it in a sense
0: Oh I'm pleased to hear that I mean the thing was for me my characters were alive in the world when Covid came along and this is the thing that I thought about a lot is that the day we went into level 4 lockdown it's not as though anybody hit a reset button and wiped away what was going on in their lives already I mean we all moved into level 4 lockdown with our own dramas, our own own personal lives were in play And none of that stopped just before, just because lockdown came along, and that's what was so great when I was writing. It was exciting when I was writing because I had three or four, four characters really, already undergoing some big trauma in their lives or some big challenges, and lockdown came along, and I threw the, you know, it was just a matter of throwing those characters against the 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 canvas of lockdown. thinking, right, well, you're still carrying into lockdown whatever you had going on in your life. Um, let's see what lockdown does to you. So we had bubbles. We had all of a sudden characters who were not supposed to be seeing each other anymore. We had rule-breaking and rule-obeying. It was really energising for me as a writer to have this glorious canvas to to um, paint my existing characters and their existing situations onto. <laughs>
1: And also, um, you had no idea how I was going to pan out. So at that's a certain right, stage, right. you <laughs> had to say the story, I'm ending the story now.
0: That's right. At first, I wondered whether um, I might end it at the end of lockdown, but I had always thought that the story might finish um, around the time of the general election. So I did carry it through to there.
1: Well, you've done an extraordinary job Sue and I have to say this is going to be another of my favourite New Zealand novels. Oh thank you, it's
0: lovely to hear.
1: The book is called Loop Tracks, it's by Sue Orr and it's published by Victoria University Press. And join us, Maureen Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.